It's time for JT the Brick. I am JT the Brick, focused black hole, getting in there, ready to rock. I got my A game. I've been there with the Raider Nation in the black hole. I've been in this rivalry. I've seen it in my 24 years here. It's a do or die game. Can't let them win in Vegas. Protect the house. Protect the Legion Stadium. Be ready to go. No half-ass effort. You don't need a PhD. You don't need some expert on CNN or Fox News teaching you about fandom. I just told you. JT the Brick. I'm on a roll right now, so let me go. Hey, JT. Yes. I love you, and I love your show. Thank you. That's what the Raiders are based on. Al Davis, the history of the Raiders. They were always banged up. They were always taped up. They had blood coming through their helmets, and they played the 11 angry men. I'm not encouraging injuries. I'm encouraging violence so that's where we are raider nation simply put man up and play football and win a game and now that's a hell of a motivational speech here's jt the brick oh we're back for hour number two of the show brought to you by m resort spawn casino go check out the raiders tavern and grill they have a great vegas golden knights bar in the middle of the property there too great food restaurants concerts the pool is getting ready to open up we have the official show of las vegas that prays for the pool girls the bottle service girls as there's another day that is ice cold out look i ski a lot this time of year and i gotta catch up because i haven't yet and i've been to some cold mountains in march and february where i'm standing on the top of the mountain and it's like three below with 10 below wind chill i know what cold is i'm from new york i got up today and walked the dog man i put on a winter jacket it was bone chilling now i know i'm getting soft with the weather i've lived out west the blood is thinned But come on, man, pray for the bottle service gals. They are getting buried here. They can't work the pools. No one's going to the pools to get their $800 bottle of Tito's that cost the hotel 12 bucks. We need to get that economy going. The Vegas economy is roaring. Our hotels, our casinos, T-Mobile, Allegiant Stadium, please come together as a community and pray for the bottle service girls who need to make money these three months. If no one's out at the pool, they can't uptick you and upsell you on all those beautiful bottles. You know, a bottle of 1942 for $5,000. You know, a bottle. Can you believe the prices when these when the fraternal order of the men of khaki pants come in and they get a cabana? I won't name the pool. We got a lot of partners. And the gal swims up and she gives you the menu. And you're looking at the bottles. And you see all the tequila going for three, four, five thousand dollars. And then one of the guys, one of the guys just whips out a credit card and throws it down, and goes, I got this one. And then the girls come out and they have the, the sparklers going and the DJs going and they're carrying the bottles of tequila. That's how our community runs. We need that business. So uh, pray for the bottle service girls, man. It's another day wiped out at the pool. Man, and it's windy and cold, and uh, we need some weather. We need some heat out here. We'll talk to Ashley Vice. She's going to join us in a minute on the Vegas Golden Knights and the run that they're on. And also coming up here at the bottom of the hour, we have a mock draft expert coming on to dive into it. And we'll ask about the Raiders and what they're going to do. Connor Rogers. Uh, today I saw a national radio host say that the Raiders are going to trade up from number seven to number four to get Will Levis. Really? Okay, so we're going to give up the future to go get Will Levis at number four from seven? Well, that's what someone said on the radio today. So everybody's got an opinion. We'll get into all of this. The Vegas Golden Knights 
have been really solid and strong. And again, I've been saying this for weeks on this show. The opportunity to be the one seed out west is critical to me. It's important that they have the one seed any way that the road could be a little bit easier for Vegas to keep the one seed and do something special. I'm all for that. I'll be in the Fortress Thursday night. They play early tonight. Ashley Vice, kind enough to join us, covers the Vegas Golden Knights on AT&T Sportsnet, part of the broadcast team. And Ashley, good to talk to you again. you got to be excited. That win last night was really special considering they could have lost in the shootout and they gained a valuable two points. How'd you say it? Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's a good trip. We also get the day here in Nashville, uh, one of the best cities in the league out, outside of Vegas. So that's always a treat. Uh, and the the game last night just makes it even better. You know, it's you talk about the two points. It was one of those scenarios where you were thankful to pick up one point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, get, getting the extra makes it better on, on a few different few different levels. Whether you're talking about the standings, whether you're talking about Lauren Bersois. Uh, surviving the overtime and shootout, which is a shootout situation. He's the first to tell you he does not enjoy them at all. Um, Luckily, that's not a a situation that arises come playoff time. Uh, But it's not something – he said he did not feel confident going into the shootout. Um, So it's good for him to come out of something like that uh, with the extra point. Um, The fact that, you know, Pavel Dorofiev, you know, kind of put the cherry on top of his regulation game by by scoring in the shootout and forcing – that extra round. And then Riley Smith, you know, he's coming back from injury. Uh, he's a, he's a guy that the team's leaned on since season one. Uh, so for him to be the one to, to have the game winner in the shootout, uh, just, you know, makes things even better. So uh, not to mention the season sweep over, over Minnesota, yeah. regular season sweep, at least like, you know, that goes a long way. Minnesota is a good team. Uh, and, you know, they have been on a roll since the all-star break. Really. They've been better than Vegas since the all-star break. So, um, Really, really a lot to take away from those two games. Uh, of course, though, now they've, they they got to keep it rolling here tonight. Nashville's going to be a desperate team, and it seems like no matter how many games Vegas wins, uh, L.A. and Edmonton keep winning as well. So critical to keep building that separation. Ashley Vice is kind enough to join us. You just nailed that. This is a critical game with the Kings coming up. And if I look at the Pacific Division, Vegas has won two in a row. They're 7-2-1 and one in the last 10, and that's identical to the Kings. Same exact record in the last 10, but the Edmonton Oilers 9-0-1 and one in a four-game winning streak. And you've seen the matchups at the Fortress and the fans that come out for Edmonton. I just feel like that rivalry is brewing later on. Actually, I want to ask you, does it feel like the Golden Knights are being chased every night you go to the rink? How do they handle that pressure, knowing that they have the lead in the West, but everybody's chasing them from behind? Yeah, it seems like they handle it well, considering they're still finding different ways to win. Uh, when they faced Minnesota at home two nights ago, they, they locked it down in the third period and really seemed to uh, be in control of the momentum swings. If the momentum shifted in the direction of Minnesota, um, they were cool and calm enough to pull it back in their direction, and then Last night they went in completely different fashion. So that right there tells me uh, that mentally they're in a good state. Uh, I, I can say they're having a lot of fun around the room still. Like it's, a, it's the most serious part of the year, but you can't underestimate what that team chemistry in the room does for a group, especially um, in the stretch run d- down the line. So, you know, I would say it does feel like they're being chased. They think that, you know, they're getting every team's best each and every night. Uh, as they should. Uh, they, you know, saw two really good games from Edmonton last week. Um, you know, had another home-and-home home, uh, within the same week against Minnesota. It's kind of odd to see that happen um, in such close proximity to each other, those home-and-home home series uh, at this point in the season. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it, it feels like they are being chased, but it certainly feels like they're handling that pressure well. And 
uh, more importantly, you're seeing different guys step up every mm-hmm. single night. Ashley Vice joins us, part of the Vegas Golden Knights broadcast team. I like what they did at the trade deadline. I love the additions that are coming in. I mean, I can't believe they're doing it without Mark Stone and this long injury that they've had here. But overall, I think McPhee and especially what's happening above him, Mr. Foley, all the decisions that have been made in regards to growing this roster in season and making strong decisions have paid off. Has it paid off better than most teams around the league that also made decisions and big decisions to try to get better as on other teams unloaded talent? Because I think that's been the benefit for the Golden Knights as they remain on top of the Pacific. Yeah, Kelly McCrimmon as well, obviously, uh, mm-hmm. making those decisions as well. But, I mean, I, around the league, Ivan Barbashev is considered to be one of the sneakiest, best pickups um, from the trade deadline. And, you know, finding someone who can work with Jack Eichel uh, the way he has and work on that line the way he has, uh, he just plays a simple game, and it's predictable for a guy like Jack and a guy like Jonathan Marsh or so uh, to click with. That line was a little bit more – they were a little bit more quiet than they would have liked to be last night, I'm sure. Um, but that – that is considered one of the best pickups um, around the league. And then, you know, Teddy Bluger, uh, the fourth line is so important to this team, no matter who's on it. Uh, they've been a difference maker no matter who it's been, whether it's, you know, you talked about doing all this without, without Mark Stone. Don't underestimate um, what it says that they're doing all this without William Carrier, too, mm-hmm. because he was really, really kind of the heartbeat of the team there um, for, for a lot of the good stretches the team was on this season. So, uh, yeah, Teddy Bluger was another uh, really important, really important pickup. And then everyone was maybe slightly too, like there was, you know, talk just like, why would the Golden Knights pick up Jonathan Quick? Well, can you imagine if they had not picked up Jonathan Quick? I mean, Yuri Patera mm-hmm. did come in uh, and give the team really two strong, really strong starts. Um, but all in all, uh, they certainly they certainly had a very successful trade deadline and you think about all the people they're doing it without, uh, and that's even more impressive. Even the last two games yeah. doing that without Shea Theodore, like having the healthy decor has been a big part of why it seemed like things have been going so well since the All-Star break. And then you take out Shea Theodore, and now Ben Hutton is playing the best hockey we've seen him play at the Golden Knights. So uh, I guess you can consider that an acquisition right now as well. You can consider Pavel Dorothea the acquisition as well. Like he was part mm-hmm. of the organization, but you know, coming in right around the time of the trade deadline, uh, things have certainly clicked on all cylinders and like i said you just got to hope it keeps going ashley vice as we wrap it up so you're in nashville uh thursday night april 6 seven o'clock that'll be the monster game taking on the kings who have been right on their tails the whole time mm-hmm. then at dallas which is a tough game too before the final two games home and away against seattle there and hopefully they feel pretty good about this you know ashley my key here is being here from day one when they went to the cup their inaugural season that you need a lot of breaks, right? You got to go up against mm-hmm. San Jose. We remember what happened a couple of years ago. There's good rivalry games, but they don't play in the Eastern Conference. And if they did, getting out of the East to me is going to be a war of attrition. Mm-hmm. And it's supposed to be Boston, and Boston's having one of the greatest seasons ever. Vegas doesn't have to go through that gauntlet to get to the Stanley Cup final. I'm not predicting the Stanley Cup just yet, but I love the way this is setting up if they can hold on to the one seed. I think Thursday night's going to be one of the most important games played in the Fortress in years when we look at the big picture and home ice in the postseason. Do you see it that way? Uh, it's certainly the most important game of the regular season, uh, mm-hmm. especially to this point, if not overall. I mean, I guess you could argue, depending on where the standings sit on that very last game, if it's like a one-point difference, and obviously that game... Uh, will, will then be the most important, but certainly 
uh, in terms of a four-point game, it doesn't get any bigger than, than Thursday nights. And it, it's funny. Obviously, it, it makes sense that so much has been made of the East, but Vegas's record against the East was outstanding this season. Uh, the best out of any Western Conference team by far. So uh, that's just something that's it's kind of funny. You would imagine that you know Bruce Cassidy's familiarity there has something to do with it. Um, but you do have to be careful. Uh, this is something the coaches will tell you. You have to be careful trying to pick your matchup and pick, oh, I think I would like to see this team in the playoffs just because once you get in, you just never know what's going to happen to anyone. Um, but that game on Thursday, uh, we'll get an idea maybe after tonight goes, um, after we see how tonight goes of who's in net Thursday. But obviously there's the potential of the Jonathan Quick storyline facing L.A. for the first time as well. So you put that in the in the pot and you stir it around with uh, how tight the standings are and all of that. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a really, really good game. And I know it's not a weekend game, but I sure mm-hmm. hope the fans show up with the energy because it's uh, it's going to be as close to a playoff game as you can get without being in the playoffs. Thursday night's a weekend for JT the Brick. I treat Thursday I like in Vegas. I, I treat I like Thursday in Vegas uh, like, <laughs> like a weekend. Hey, last one. I'm expecting for some VGKs to be in Nashville tonight because it's great. Some coming off spring break, a lot of fans from that part of the country, and the fact that Vegas fans understand that's a great road trip city. It is for the Raiders. It is for uh, Vegas Golden Knights. Nashville is a brilliant city to go to. Girls go with their girlfriends. Guys yep. go on boys trips there. Tell me about that. Do you expect to see a lot of fans tonight there in Nashville? I do. I've actually seen. I saw some walking around Minnesota yesterday. I've actually seen some walking around the streets today in Golden Knights jerseys already. I know um, there's also some of our inner circle group, which is a, a group of some of um, the some of the season ticket members, things like that, who mm-hmm. who traveled in for the game. Uh, but definitely do expect Vegas fans travel so well. That is something that's really impressed me. Uh, but you talk about the the city in general. It's getting Dave and Shane to uh, leave the live music and <laughs> go to the games. Always a bit of a struggle here. But you know they're professionals. They show up. But yeah, definitely. Uh, it's up there. You know, you, you talk to people about which cities are the best in the league to visit outside of Vegas, and Nashville's definitely up there. It's a good time and uh, hopefully hopefully a good game, but hopefully one where Vegas walks away with two points for sure. I'll see you Thursday. Thanks so much for coming on with us. Greatly appreciate it. it. Thank you. You got it. Ashley Vice, part of the Vegas Golden Knights broadcasting team, will have another guest on Thursday as VGK comes at home. So, again, I like the balance of this show today. I still haven't got a Brian Hoyer call. Bobby, sound the alarm. I thought I would have taken my first Brian Hoyer call, but I've had four guests all back-to-back-to-back. That opens up a phone line for you. Will Raider fans welcome in the backup quarterback from New England? Oh, I got a couple of text messages today from friends saying, good luck on the show today. I'm like, what are you worried about? They're like, oh, the Raiders aren't going to like Brian Hoyer. I go, why wouldn't they like Brian Hoyer? He's a great backup quarterback. Excellent backup quarterback. Uh, I do a podcast with my buddy Tom Looney. We did 14 years on the radio together, and we do one every year about backup quarterbacks. And I think I told you two days ago, I didn't know Brian Hoyer was coming here. But I said Teddy, Teddy Ballgame, Teddy Two Gloves, Teddy Bridgewater to me is a great backup quarterback. You know, you look at some of these quarterbacks who are penciled in to be a backup. Carson Wentz now would be an amazing backup quarterback because he's a starter. He wants to start, but depending on where he lands, Gardner Minshew, right? Look at what Indianapolis is looking to do. Gardner Minshew is an outstanding backup quarterback. And the Raiders got one that knows the system. So I think the big picture for Raider fans who want to call in before Q comes on at two is this. Can some of your friends get over this Patriot blank? Can any of your, like, is there anyone with a rational mind who can call me 
And every time the Raiders sign a Patriot, they don't break a window or just go outside and drive their car into a wall and say, oh, my God, they took a Patriot. I've watched football the last 20 years. The Patriots won six Super Bowls. They were the best organization by far in football. Very close second was Kansas City. We're trying to beat Kansas City here. We're getting some people familiar with the Patriots system, which is what Josh McDaniels runs offensively. He runs the Patriots system. That isn't going to change. And they brought in two quarterbacks who were successful with the Patriots and Jimmy Garoppolo and Brian Hoyer. So I, I know that some fans don't like these moves. I know some of the fans don't like the colors of the Patriots. I know some fans still talk about the tuck rule. But Jimmy Garoppolo and Brian Hoyer are valuable members of this team, and they're good players. I mean, anybody who can hear my voice today knows Brian Hoyer and seen him play and seen him win games in this league. That's the type of emergency break-the-glass backup quarterback that you have to have. Not a guy who can come in and just be serviceable, but a guy who can take the offense, know it blindfolded, and run it and win you a couple of games if Jimmy G goes down. But I got to be careful because I don't want Jimmy G to go down. I can't get into that habit, as one Hall of Famer told me. Don't go there. Don't go there assuming he's going to get hurt. Because once you go there, then it's never going to get out of your head. So Brian Hoyer has signed today, and I think that is a really good pick as a backup quarterback. Now, this was a position that we, the season ticket holders, could have all been in. Let's just say for this conversation, Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't available. Let's say another team went out and got him first and said, we want Jimmy Garoppolo. This was the type of guy... That could have been the Raiders' starting quarterback. It could have been Jacoby Brissett or Brian Hoyer as they drafted a quarterback, number seven overall, or move up to trade up to number three or four to get a quarterback. And then it's Brian Hoyer holding down the fort at Allegiant Stadium with all these teams coming in for six or seven games before the new young Raider quarterback, future face of the franchise, takes over the team. So I'm good with this. I think the Raider quarterback room's pretty good with Jimmy Garoppolo and Brian Hoyer. They know each other. They'll work together fine. They know the system. And now the head coach has got to run the system to the best of his ability because Derek Carr was evaluated not to be able to run the system at the level that the head coach wants to have it run. So Brian Hoyer and Jimmy Garoppolo got to run it better. And the only way we're going to see that is if the playbook is expanded and the playbook is, I think, manipulated to take advantage of Devontae. Remember, uh, Josh McDaniels had Randy Moss. In a year where they went 18-0 and and then lost in the Super Bowl to Eli. They went 18-0. and And we saw how that worked with Randy Moss and Josh McDaniels calling the plays and what he was able to do. Well, Devontae is as good as Randy Moss. Not all time is good. Randy Moss was a hell of a player. He was a terrible Raider. Awful Raider. I was there 10 feet away when he laid down on the bench. He was not a good Raider. If you ever mention the Raiders to Randy Moss, he gets triggered. Like you're talking politics or something. He loses his bleeping mind. If you say Raiders to Randy Moss, Devontae is very similar to Randy Moss in the prime of his career. And it's the job of Brian Hoyer at practice and in the preseason in practice, because I don't think Devontae is going to play in the preseason, and Jimmy Garoppolo to get the ball out quickly and make better decisions in the red zone. So that's what I say on that. I'm waiting for my first ever Brian Hoyer call. Maybe Bobby can go into the prize closet and we can give away a koozie or a T-shirt for the first ever Brian Hoyer quarterback call, which I think is a solid backup quarterback. I like, the, I like a good backup quarterback that knows what to do if called in in the heat. And Jared Stidham, we saw Jared Stidham very prepared to do that when Derek Carr got benched for the final two games. Stidham was ready to go, and that's your job when you're in the NFL, to be ready to go 
when you're called on. 702-365-9200 is the number. And Amendola coming in as a coach. You know, it depends on who's going to make it, wink, wink, on this roster. Who's going to be here long term? But when Vinny put that out today, uh, that was very interesting to see. The Raiders adding Daddy Amendola as an assistant coach. Why? Because he's a former Patriot and the guys running the Raiders are former Patriots. And I've grown up from that and I'm not a toddler and I can handle that. Who else can handle the fact that a a few former expatriates are floating around the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center? If it bothers you that much, please explain to me why it bothers you that much. And also UConn winning the national championship game last night. They did that in very impressive fashion. Thanks again to Ashley Vice who joined us. She was really good, and hopefully Vegas wins tonight. Last night I watched the shootout live while I was watching the NCAA tournament. I was pretty happy to see this. We'll have Jordan Schultz on tomorrow. Also, Vinny Bonsignor in his regular spot. So with all of this, all of this that is happening, we have everybody excited, ready to roll, and the Raiders have done a lot. I thought the Raiders have done a lot. They've added a bunch, as Raider Mort would say, guys. Who out of these guys are going to develop into potential starting football players? Raider Dave, always good. Raider Raider Dave, are you going to be my first Brian Hoyer call? You betcha, man. I think this is a solid move. This guy was drafted by the Patriots, been back there twice, knows the system great, and can fill in any time he needs to. Plus, he has played on so many different teams and seen so many different divisions in the NFL time and time again. He can go ahead and replicate any sort of other quarterback with another team that we need, which is perfect. You know, I think there is going to be a competition between Garbers and one of the later round uh, quarterbacks, but you need four arms in camp, if not more. You've got all kinds of people to throw to. I think it's a great move. It's not unexpected, and I think it does mean this, and you should be happy as well as I do. This means they're not going for a quarterback right off the bat up top in the draft. They're going to go ahead and pound this defense with this draft. And I'll tell you what, I'm coming to Vegas soon, the next week or two, and uh, I would love to hit Grimaldi's. Yeah, well, we can do that, Dave. Set that up. I'll take you to Grimaldi's. I have no problem doing that. Thanks a lot. I'll reach out to Bobby, and when you're out here next week, we'll try to get a lunch or go there. Grimaldi's, the best pizza I've ever had. I get the Brooklyn Bridge pizza there, and I sit at the bar as I wait for my to-go order. I have one Peroni, no drinking and driving, one Peroni there, or my Modelo. As, at Grimaldi's, they have a nice selection there, and then I, I go home and I come into the house with the large pies, put them down, and my sons devour them. I do have my youngest son coming home uh, this weekend for Easter, and happy Easter holiday for all those who celebrate. That'll be this weekend here, too. 702-365-9200. Brian Hoyer, newest member of the Silver and Black. I'm okay with that. He's a good backup quarterback. And I think the Raiders got a bunch of good backups on defense, guys who can play on defense. But who are going to be the starters? Could it be Duke Shelley? Could it be David Long Jr.? Could Brandon Faison be a starter? Well, I know Nate Hobbs is a starter, and if they're able to go out and get a starting cornerback with the seventh pick overall, that'll be two out of the three starters, two starting cornerbacks in a slot corner. I'll go with Gonzalez and Nate Hobbs plus one of these guys, I got about eight guys on my depth chart. By the way, I just tweeted out my pretty sloppy depth chart that I use just for radio. I fill in the blanks and write with a pen, and my wife upgrades it on my uh, Google spreadsheet here. But uh, you can see what it's like to be a sports talk radio host who uh, writes feverishly quick 
when I see the additions of players here in the home studio today. Also, thanks again to the great Fred Bolitnikoff. Please go to Bolitnikoff.org to buy a foursome and play golf with us. Come on in after the round. We have a beautiful banquet. We give away prizes. Hall of Famers speak. It's really good. That'll be a Canyon Gate Golf Club. All you got to do is go to Bolitnikoff.org and find out all about that. When we come back, we'll get into the mock drafts. I told you no show. We'll have more mock draft insiders than my show up until the draft. We're lining them up. We've lined them all up, and we're going to continue to do it. Coming up next is Connor Rogers from NBC Sports. He has his mock draft. We'll go through a couple of the teams, some of the players who are ascending and descending as we continue on the flagship of the Las Vegas Raiders. Yeah, well, I think, you know, when, when you have players that have a lot of experience, there's, there's a lot of tape to, to see. You can see that progression and you can see that development that we talked about. And, and so I, wasn't, I wouldn't say it's like something like specifically that's like, okay, these guys have started this amount of time and that makes them more, you know, more valuable. But what you do see oftentimes at the college level is guys get to move around and play different spots. Um, over their time, the longer that they're there, because you know the college are bringing different recruits in, and again, you're trying to get the best five on the field. So a guy ends up playing tackle for a certain amount of time, then he plays guard, then he plays center. Um, you know, Munford played tackle and played guard. So I think the longer you're there, what's naturally happening a lot of times in college is you're getting. Um, an opportunity to see players play at different spots and and again we've talked about versatility at that position being important and so um, you know we are able to see that on those players and and again that versatility is an important trait. Dave Ziegler GM of the Silver and Black JT back with you as we continue Masters Week a lot happening coming off the national championship game last night and I'm excited to talk to Connor Rogers well let's welcome in Connor Rogers with his mock draft from NBC Sports, co-host of NFL Stock Exchange for Pro Football PFF, and uh, from New York, too, the Jets pre- and post-game. Connor, good to talk to you, and I want to begin where you stood and where you stand evolving with these quarterbacks. It seems to be one and two are the obvious ones, and it goes to Levis and Richardson at three and four. What can't be you in? Yeah, JT. Well, number one, thanks for having me, of course. And when you look at how it's going to come off the board, I think right now, yeah, you, you nailed it. It's kind of tiered. It looks like Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. You go any combination of number one and number two. And then I, I really think Anthony Richardson has started to separate himself a little bit in his own unique tier after those guys. It feels like teams kind of cooled off on Levis a little bit um, when you really dive into the tape and just see some of his shortcomings and the fact that you know, also, to be fair, Richardson helped himself. Richardson had a great combine. He finished his season really strong. He got that touchdown-interception ratio moving in the right direction his last seven games. He's a younger prospect. He's 20 years old. So, you know, with Levis is a guy that's a couple years older than that. So it's a little bit more untapped, and it's viewed as reps with Richardson, not necessarily fixing him or developing him uh, beyond this, you know, ridiculous kind of curve. It's just he needs reps. He needs playtime. So, I think when it's all said and done, we could see five quarterbacks go in the first round, any order between Young and Stroud. I lean Young, then Stroud, then Richardson still going in the top five. 
Levis leaning more in that top 10-ish kind of range. And then I think Hendon Hooker actually sneaks into the end of round one as well. I agree with you. There's just too many quarterbacks going early that Hendon Hooker should benefit on that. Very interesting when you say Richardson in the top five because Indy is sitting there up uh, up there with a pick and they need a quarterback. And we keep hearing, I'm based in Vegas with the Raiders at number seven. They can't afford to wait because four of the quarterbacks could be gone. So do you think Vegas could trade up or Indy's going to wait for Richardson or maybe have to move up to where Arizona is at number three? That number three pick is the key, right? Number three is the, the entry point that you can get into. As soon as the Panthers moved up to the Bears pick, the next leaping point was three because the Texans are not going to move out of two. They really can't. When you look at the Colts, they're in a situation where do they even consider flipping into three so nobody could jump over them as the word is out that Arizona would love to get out of that pick. And Arizona's not looking at it as a situation where, well, we can only go back a certain amount of points because we need this guy. They need everything. So Arizona, I don't think there's a limitation to how far they go back as long as they get the right return. So when you look at the Raiders, they're fascinating to me because you have a situation where, yes, Jimmy G can play but you'd also like to have that guy developing. I don't know how aggressive they get to move for him, though. I think they might be patient and say, hey, we'll sit at seven, see if a guy like Levis falls into our lap. We don't think Richardson will. We're just not going to pay the price because we want to continue to round out our roster. So that's one way you can go with it. With the Colts, yeah, there's some some rumblings around Lamar Jackson that feels like a long shot still, but you never know. So you kind of pencil them in at number four to take a quarterback and then, Who's the wild card that goes up to number three, right? Can a Tennessee or can a Washington get all the way up from 12 or 16 to number three and get a quarterback like that? We know those teams have guys that can hold the four for this year, whether it's Ryan Tannehill or Jacoby Brissett and Sam Howell are the combination in Washington. So if they move up, you take a Richardson or a Levis, the luxury is with all those teams, Vegas included, is that those guys don't have to play right away. And that's why they feel so comfortable taking them early is because they feel they have the right development system in place for them to sit, watch, learn, grow, and then start in maybe year two or the back half of year one. Good information from Connor Rogers, NBC Sports. And I want to go to the corners. I love both of them. I think Christian Gonzalez, the junior out of Oregon, is a hell of a player. And, you know, I watched Witherspoon play every game that he played. My wife went to Illinois. We got the package. We watch all his games. And he got beat from time to time. But I love his physicality. Where do you have these corners going? Because I think the level of cornerback after those two drop off significantly. And every time I watch an NFL game, every team seems to need an upgrade at the cornerback position. Man, yeah, you hit that one out of the park. I'm with you all the way that these guys are in their own tier. I have Gonzalez and Witherspoon as the sixth and seventh best players in the entire draft. I think that's how good they are. And then I'm with you, there is a little bit of a drop-off. My next one's not till Joey Porter, and he's not in my top 15. He's the 16th overall. So if you want one of the top dogs, you're going to be spending a top 10 pick. And I understand the Lions went out and got corners in free agency, but they're not ruled out from taking a guy like Witherspoon at six. The Raiders, if they believe in their quarterback room, they are, they have been doing all the work on corners. I know that they love Witherspoon. So they've been doing work on corners as well, and obviously there's a need there. The Falcons at eight need a corner. Here's the kicker. If Arizona moves out of three, what pick did they move into with who? They could take a corner. If you look mm-hmm. at that secondary, it's Swiss cheese right now. So when you look at Witherspoon and Gonzalez, like you said, JT, they are special players. They are blue-chip players in this class. There are a ton, there's a ton of demand when you look at the teams that have succeeded taking corner early, whether it's the Jets with Sauce Gardner last year, but you go before that, the Broncos with Sertan, the Panthers with Horn. These corners go early because they make such a difference in the pass game. 
shutting down the passing game or neutralizing it. And that's why Witherspoon and Gonzalez, I think both of them go in the top ten with all those landing spots on the table. Connor Rogers, as we wrap it up, this is really good information. Thrilled that he can join us and talk about mock drafts. I think Jalen Carter, it's fascinating to me because no one's going to know exactly what his background's like with his mom, the drive, reckless driving charge, whatever happened there, what's going on. He put on a little bit of weight. I don't blame a kid who got in the best shape of his life at one point and then put on a couple of pounds, but I think he's the best defensive player in the draft, and I see some mock drafts having him drop number five to Seattle, uh, dropping all the way down, possibly past that, and I know there's going to be you know, Atlanta, Chicago, Philadelphia, other teams saying, can he drop all the way down to us? What happens if this draft begins, and after the third, first three picks, Jalen Carter's still on the board? Are there going to be some teams outside the top 10? Because he won't meet with those. Drew Rosenhaus says he won't meet with teams outside of the top 10. Do you see a team at 15 or 20 jumping into the top five to go get him because he's a generational talent, very similar to Aaron Donald? I would never rule it out for such a great player. Now, what's tricky with him is, like you said, not meeting with teams outside the top 10 when you need to be doing yourself every favor imaginable right now to get your stock back up is not a strategy that I would personally advise uh, going upon. Now, when you look at Carter, the more teams I've talked to now, to be fair, this was about two weeks ago, but when you look at the teams in the top eight, there was only one I knew of that was going to take Carter. So now it only takes one in that spot for him to not fall out of the top eight. Now, when you look at um, the teams outside that don't get to meet with him, well, how about this? What if you, know, you look at Detroit picking again at 18 or Seattle picking again at 20? Would they say, hey, we need to get a safe pick with our first first-round pick at five and six, but maybe we come back up for Carter and take the swing there, the luxury there? You have Philadelphia at 10. I think they have the infrastructure to handle a complicated character like Jalen Carter because they have all those veterans on the defensive and offensive line room where he would be doing most of his work and reps with. So I think when it comes down to that, he's a special player. He's the most talented player in the draft. He's a true game-changing defensive tackle, and there's, what, maybe five or six of those guys in the NFL. It's a rarity. So I don't think he falls out of the top 10, but the question is, you know, is he going to be the first defensive player drafted anymore? No, those, that ship is sailed. It's going to be Will Anderson or the Dark Horse and Tyree Wilson. And like you said, with those corners brought up earlier, there's a couple teams I know in the top ten that are much more comfortable taking those corners before they take Jalen Carter. All right, my friend, I'll leave you on this note. Who did really great in free agency and improved their team? And who are you shocked at that didn't do a good job with the money in free agency? Give me one on either side. Oh, that's a good one. I think, number one, I really like what Detroit has been able to do. The fact that they were able to go get those starting corners that I mentioned just goes to show you now they have flexibility in the draft. They can take that swing on you know, an edge rusher. Maybe it's Tyree Wilson. I don't think Will Anderson's going to fall. Maybe they do the background on Jalen Carter and go, you know what, we're okay with this. We need that star defensive tackle. I just like when teams use free agency to open up their draft flexibility, and that was something that I looked at with Detroit and thought they did a really, really good job of. I just kind of wonder, two teams picking back-to-back here with New England and Green Bay, I just wonder about their both their offenses right now. And with Green mm-hmm. Bay, it's a little bit different. We know they're going to the Jordan Love era. There's just not a lot around him right now. And there's time. There's still time. But they're not a team that typically drafts wide receiver in the first round over and over again. New England, yeah, they got Juju Smith-Schuster, but they let Jacoby Myers walk for what I thought was a really good deal for the Raiders. I thought it was very reasonable. So it's going to be interesting to see how that swap works. It just feels like both those teams 
both those teams, obviously historic franchises with interesting quarterback situations, are lacking offensive firepower right now. And their trench play on the offensive line has quietly taken a step back over the last year. Connor Rogers, uh, real quick, where are you from? What's your backstory? I really like your work. How'd you get into all this? I'm from New York. Uh, I've been doing scouting since I was in college. I have a lot of it for free: podcasting, blogging, drafting. I got a job at the you know the bottom of the uh, the bottom of the food chain as a research assistant at Bleacher Report about nine years ago, and just started talking about the draft, writing about the draft, getting on the road, connecting with teams, connecting with scouts, agents, whatever it may be. Uh, and here I am for NBC Sports today, doing what I love, doing what I dreamed of. It's it's a it's a blast and an honor. Congratulations, continued success. I'd like to have you on a lot more. Appreciate you. Absolutely. Thank you, JT. Connor Rogers. Nice story. You know, I always ask people, I tried to, how you got in the business, what are you doing? I think I started at the bottom, left the six-figure stockbroker job at Merrill Lynch to do overnights from midnight to five in 1996. I like to hear the stories of guys who, you know, take chances. And this kid now is really good. He's got a lot of followers, and he puts together some great draft work. Interesting about what he thought about with the Raiders now. You know, I'm leaning like he is. I think the Raiders go corner at number seven, and they don't move. They stay there. They keep their powder dry, and they use all their picks, and they get Gonzalez or Witherspoon at number seven, and they start them at corner. Just like a Namdi Asamoah, a Charles Woodson, whoever it is. You get your corner in the draft, you play him. He's going to get burned. He's going to give up a touchdown. He might give up a touchdown on the first play of his career. Who cares? He's going to play corner for the Las Vegas Raiders for hopefully six, seven, eight, nine years. I, I think there's two corners available, and the cornerback position drives me crazy pre-Dave Ziegler. It drives me nuts. It drives me nuts. I'm in the building. I'm a season ticket holder. I sit at my seats. I watch the corners play. They can't catch the football. They can't knock the ball down. They don't make any plays, and the defense is pretty soft. So give me an oversized physical corner that can start day one. I repeat, not a good corner that you're going to park behind a guy such as David Long Jr. or Brandon Faison or Tyler Hall. Okay, I don't want one of those guys. I don't want to hear about a developing cornerback that's going to sit. I want the cornerback or the defensive tackle to start day one and the Raiders defense, I can check off another starter. Then I go, okay, there's a starter there. And then all of a sudden the Raiders pick again, and they're in the 30s, and all of a sudden, boom, the defensive tackle that dropped to them, which had maybe a grade in the first round in the 20s, and Dave Ziegler met with them and knows them, and then they get that starting defensive tackle, Chandler Jones, Max Crosby, and then some kid in the middle that can play day one. Not a guy who is going to come in day one and back up Jerry Tillery. I am not looking for a backup to Jerry Tillery or Bilal Nichols or Neil Farrell. I don't want to see a backup for those players and a kid that's going to develop. I want to see an alpha starter. I want to see a Greg Townsend. I want to see a Daryl Russell. I want to see a Matt Millen. I want to see someone who's going to come in and be a badass. A badass who's going to take people down and get a couple of flags, and be an angry kid who comes in here and loves the Raiders. I'm not asking for much. And I have confidence whenever I throw out that disclaimer that Dave Ziegler can find those guys. Hey, I'm all for developing. They, they got a bunch of guys on this roster that are potential starters in this league, and they're penciled in as backups who are going to compete. I'm cool with that. You need a bunch of those guys on a team when you got a 53-man roster. But this show, this is the show of record with the Raiders for over 24, now going on 25 years. I'm done. 
I'm done waiting like you are. I want to see guys who can play day one because the scouts are getting paid to find those players who can come in and have an impact. That's it. Some you're going to swing and miss on. Some aren't going to be as great as the others, but at least give us the upside in the ceiling is a term you hear often in sports. What's the ceiling on that player? And the ceiling is, well, they're going to come in and they're going to start pretty quickly here and then be a building block for Patrick Graham in this defense. You know, it's never been my business to find out how long someone's going to be with this team. I don't know. Myself, a scout, a coach, whatever. None of my business. But I can tell you this. I know this from being out on the Raiders for a quarter century. Everybody who walks into the building who worked under Mr. Davis, Mrs. Davis, Mark Davis, are expected to be ready to play day one. They're expected to put their whole life on and off the field for the Raiders organization, for the fans. And predominantly, everybody who gets drafted kind of fits that mold. They're good players. They're young players. They want to play. They want to be Raiders. And they want to come in and do some things. Let's get that going again. Let Dave Ziegler have a shot. You bring in Brian Hoyer. Now we don't have to look for a backup quarterback. You got Brian Hoyer. He brought in two tight ends, O.J. Howard and Austin Hooper, two. He might draft another one, but you got two durable guys, if they can stay healthy, who are big, oversized, can block, can do some certain things. You got Jacoby Myers, Hunter Renfro, Devontae Adams, Philip Dorsett, Keelan Cole. You look at the players that are here now, and you say to yourself, this Cam Sims looks amazing to me, and then DeAndre Carter, who's going to make the team on special teams. That's a pretty good wide receiver room. Colt Miller, uh, Illuminor, Parker, Munford, Parham, you know, Andre James. Uh, Get another good starting offensive lineman in here. And then we can focus on the defense. And if you can get two of the first two picks to start, along with the rest of the guys who were brought in in abundance to add depth here, then I'm not going to freak out because I think some of the backups could play starter. I think Nate Hobbs can develop into, you know, years from now, a guy that could be a Pro Bowl caliber corner. But, man, we need some more guys in here that don't have to prove it. It's not going to take two or three years to prove it. Uh, Last call to get in here, 702-365-9200. Picked up another shift on SiriusXM, so I'm on the rest of the week there. Catch me from 6 to 9 o'clock all week. This is a 10 radio show week for me, which is not putting out oil fires or being a cop or doing something hard. It's just like being a sports radio bartender, picking up 10 shifts this week in the month of April. My wife had a great birthday yesterday. We're celebrating it the rest of the week, and it's great to be on the radio here as we count down to the draft. One thing I learned through all of this is everybody has a dream, and everybody has a story to tell. Just try to find that story. Be kind. You told it better than most, let me tell you. Can I tell you one other thing? I mean this, not to try to play off hello friends, but to you, everybody in the college game, my CBS family, my family, all the viewers, thank you for being my friend. That's Jim Nance. Great sound off. Sign off. Thank you for being my friend. Nance has had truly a blessed life as a broadcaster. There's no doubt about that. For decades, 
he leaves the final. I know this because I know people who are with him, his inner circle. After the final four, the national championship came on Monday night. He has a big dinner, big wine guy, lives on the Monterey Peninsula on Pebble. So at the site, I'm assuming last night in Houston, he had his wife, his kids, everyone around him. Big dinner paid for by CBS, unlimited bill, right? You can order Screaming Eagle, Silver Oak, whatever wine you want, an unbelievable tab. Jim Nance tips well. That's another thing, fact, not fiction. Then the next morning, Jim gets up on the private jet and flies to the Masters. I mean, is there anything better than that? I mean, could you imagine calling the national championship on Monday and Tuesday late morning, early afternoon, you're on the scene at Augusta National getting ready to call the Masters. Jim Nance has lived a charmed life as a broadcaster, and a lot of broadcasters live that type of life. It's a very difficult life. If you got a chance to see John Madden's documentary, the legendary Raider head coach, arguably the greatest football broadcaster of all time, he spent his whole adult life on a bus, leaving his family, leaving his kids, and going to New York, to Giant Games in Philadelphia. They had the NFC East. Right, Going to Dallas, it would take days to get there back and forth on the bus. That's tremendous sacrifice to be away from your family, but then you have the opportunity to call the greatest games, become a Hall of Famer as a broadcaster, and do all that. And Jim Nance has had that type of career. So very fascinating. I watched one shining moment last night. It was my wife's birthday after the game. We sat there and watched it. She's a big college hoop fan. And I finished my show last night, and you could just see that Jim Nance, as he was on stage giving out the trophy to Danny Early, all the emotions rushing across his face as he's just a class act. So I've only interviewed Jim three or four times in my career. He's been nothing but kind. I wish him well. He's not done with the NFL, I believe, and the Masters, but he steps aside from the NCAA tournament and did a fantastic job. Uh, UConn wins, but San Diego State went out of the Mountain West. And Lon Kruger was on TV last night with Ron Futrell and Chris Matthews on 8 News Now. And Lon was talking about what's going on here in the Mountain West. Now that San Diego State went to the national championship game, UNLV's got to get going. Kevin Kruger's the right guy. They got to get in the portal. They got to get better players so we can have an opportunity here in Vegas to have a Final Four run. It doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon. But I could hope for the best there. Thanks again to Ashley Vice, who joined us with the Vegas Golden Knights. Now, they play early tonight at Nashville. We got a great partner in PTs. They'll have viewing parties all over town. So head on out for happy hour 5 to 7 and watch this team. Something really nice is brewing with this hockey team in the playoffs right around the corner. We'll have another guest on. Connor Rogers was great with the draft. And then we spent 20 glorious minutes with Fred Bolitnikoff to kick off the show. If you missed that. I don't know where you find stuff. I think Bobby puts it up on the podcast. When I finish the show, I finish the show. I'll talk to Freddie in between between shows tonight. Thanks again to Fred and Angela Bolitnikoff for including me in their Hall of Fame golf tournament. Go to Bolitnikoff.org. Please make a donation. Help out in memory of Tracy Bolitnikoff. Buy a golf package and come on out and see us in Vegas. Q's on deck as always. He'll have a big show for you. I'll see you back here tomorrow on the flagship of the Silver and Black.